Scripture reading this morning comes from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 32. Paul writes, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God, because of the ignorance that is in them, due to their hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves over to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way you learned Christ. Assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to be put and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Thanks be to God. As you have heard me talk about, we went to Chicago this week. We had a great time. I love Chicago. It's a city, city after my own heart or my heart's after that own city. As Stacy called it, it was my first girlfriend, um, the city of Chicago. Um, it has been a defining factor in my life uh, for many, many reasons. Uh, m- the last three generations either lived in Chicago, actually all three generations, uh, past and even before that, have lived in Chicago at one point or another. We just have this history of moving through it. As a family, it kind of is like a, it's kind of a home for us in some way. Uh, it was great. We went to Wrigley. Uh, we admire the architecture. Uh, we rode the L. Uh, we had a true L train experience leaving Wrigley um, with uh, everyone singing along to um, All I Want for Christmas is You in August. It was a very interesting uh, experience. We had great food, and all this brought back uh, fantastic memories. Chicago was the first place that I cooked, both personally for myself as well as professionally. I had friends, and I thought through all the, the walks that we took and the time that we spent together, Monday night football, church, all of those things. I studied, spent five years in seminary there, um, had a great time. I walked the city. It was one of the first times that I just spent hours upon hours just walking taking photos doing photography really got into that hobby there as well saw lots of good concerts man there are just always good shows happening in Chicago it's a great place for music it was very nostalgic for me 
it brought back all of these memories, all of this warmth, all of this, um, these wonderful places uh, that I remembered, um, all these good memories. Nostalgia is actually comes from the word uh, ache for home is what it means. Uh, and Johannes Hoffer was a doctor in 1688, and he was the first one to kind of um, uh, clinicize, if that's even a word, uh, but to bring about this understanding of nostalgia. And they actually first thought it, it was a neurological disease of essentially demonic cause. It was not a positive thing. They thought it was linked to depression and anxiety. Uh, and especially in Swiss mercenaries, that they would go off to war and they'd have this aching for home. And they thought, <laughs> very interestingly, they thought that the cowbells of the Swiss Alps had actually damaged their eardrums to bring about these feelings uh, in, their, in their minds and all. But nostalgia is actually a very universal feeling. We all feel it. it it's across cultures. We all have this ache for home. And in doing so, it was, as they've continued to study it, they've learned that it actually can lessen your loneliness. It can actually warm you from the inside. Music is one of those things that they would play music, and you'd have these feelings of nostalgia of where you were and, and what home was like and, and wanting to return. But I think nostalgia also can leave out the brokenness, the painful memories, and sometimes even the realities that we faced when we were home and when we've lived in different places as well. We often do this with our lives, right? We look back on what could have been, what should have been, how things were, and yet the pain and the heartache often is left out of the reality when we uh, think back, when we are nostalgia. It was easier when. The 90s were an easier time. Chicago, singleness, unencumbered by, by family responsibilities was so much easier, but it was also an incredibly lonely time for me. I didn't have any money to be able to go and do things. Uh, I lived by myself most of the time. It was the first time that I really faced depression and anxiety um, through uh, my time there when I was in seminary and after. Um, the first, I, at one point, I, when I, at the end of my first semester there, I realized I hadn't been hugged the entire time I'd lived in Chicago. So from August to December, hadn't experienced just that physical affection from another person. It was an incredibly lonely time as well. Paul knows that we are tempted to look back on our lives in nostalgic ways, forgetting the pain, the self-centeredness that we had, and he writes to the Ephesians to remind them not to return to their old ways of living, but to look forward to what God is doing in their lives. See, Paul is reminding us here that we're not returning to the former home that we once knew, but we are headed to a future home where we get to experience the fullness of life now, here and now, in this place, in the church. So we're going to look at what our former home was, and we're going to look at what our future home is. Our former home, Paul writes about in verses 17 through 24. I'll read that again for us. Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds, they are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. Due to their hardness of heart, they have become callous and have given themselves up for, to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way you learned Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to the former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul's looking back at how they used to live their lives, as well as pointing forward in this passage. He tells the Ephesians to not walk as the Gentiles do, which is an interesting kind of turn of phrase that Paul does here, because he's been talking about how the Jews and Gentiles, the dividing wall, have been broken down between them, but that's an ethnic distinction in them. And now he's pointing to a behavioral distinction, a lifestyle in which they no longer need to live in. It's one that's marked by futility, being alienated from God, it's being ignorant, it's being callous. Callous is that word that's was lost all sensitivity. When I worked in kitchens in Chicago, my my hands would become callous by from holding the steel of the knife throughout you know the whole day. I would be able to grab food out of a frying pan uh, to be able to put it on the plate. My fingers now feel that heat, um, as you experienced this week. Uh, now feel that heat. I can't do that. My hands are soft. They're, they're sensitive to things happening around us. Sensuality, debauchery is just this, this notion of there's no shame in what they would do. Uh, the ancient uh, Greek culture, especially in Ephesus, just had no shame to it. And Paul kind of sums it all up by saying they're greedy to practice every kind of impurity. Greed kind of just sums up all of the sins, right? That's living for oneself. That's a continual hunger for more. But Paul says, you have learned Christ. You are a new person. You have a new relationship. And he kind of goes on this kind of a, a rhetorical thing of if you have actually learned him, assuming that you have. But one of the interesting things, there's no parallel for how Paul using this word learned Christ or this phrase learned Christ. Nowhere else in all of Greek literature has anyone ever put together learning a person. And so we learn Christ. We learn what his life is about. And in, we, in doing so, we see three things that happen to us. We put off we are renewed, and then we put on a new self. We put off the former manner of life, no longer marked by futility, alienation, callousness, debauchery, greed, all of those things. We take that off of us. And then we are renewed in our mind. We have new thinking. We have new motivations. We are now communal. We are a part of a community, the church. We are Christ-centered, no longer me-centered. Paul says that you're renewed in the spirit of your thinking. This can be translated a few different ways. Paul is just like coining new words throughout this entire passage here. But it can either mean that the way you think is being renewed, which is certainly true, but it can also mean the spirit, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of God, is renewing your mind, an ongoing practice, or pra practice but also process for your mind, your thinking, your motivations being changed, no longer living for yourself, but for living for Christ and for the community that you are a part of. It's this newness that begins within, but it also has an outward effect. Being renewed in your mind, then you put on the new self. This self 
is created in the likeness of God. It's marked by righteousness and holiness. It's not marked by sinlessness. That's not what Paul says here. He said the mar- this is the marker of relationship with God. Righteousness and holiness is being connected to God in relationship. Paul uses this language of, of taking off, putting off, and putting on. Very clothing-oriented uh, words here. I worked at J. Crew when I lived in Chicago. I'd drive up to Skokie, a nearby suburb, and help people pick new clothes for themselves or help theft not happen in the store as well. There was a lot of things that you did at J. Crew. Uh, but people would come in and they'd buy new outfits and help them pick out clothes, what fit them well. Um, and some people would, bu- would buy whole new wardrobes. I mean, they'd just spend gobs of money doing this. And one of the interesting things was always when someone would wear one of their outfits or their new clothes out of the store as well. They couldn't put their old clothes back on. It felt so good to be in something that either fit them properly, properly or helped them look so good that they had to wear that item out of the store. They couldn't put their old clothes back on. This is what Paul is instructing us to do. Don't return to your old rags. Don't return to your old ways of living. Don't be greedy. I think greed is su- it's such an all-encompassing term for how uh, we can experience or how we can be so easily uh, taken with sin in our lives. It's so easy to fall prey to, especially as Americans. We are sold things constantly in our lives and it's so hard to resist right like we buy our kids legos and they build it and they flip to the back of the instruction book and they've just put this thing together and then they have all the other sets that they can buy and they're like and now i want this one and i want this one and i want this one with instagram we have targeted ads and finally you're like fine i'll buy the new electronic toothbrush that's going to make my teeth you know beautiful and white and all these things but like that's where that's the culture that we live in, buy the things, have more experiences, experience, have more sexual contests, conquests, not contests, that would, that, that would be terrible, uh, <laughs> have more sexual conquests, and have more experiences, have more things. These are the things that are going to satisfy you. Have more and more and more. Fyodor Dostoevsky says, the world says, you have needs, satisfy them. You have as much right as the rich and the mighty. Don't hesitate to satisfy your needs. Indeed, expand your needs and demand more. This is the worldly doctrine of today, and they believe that this is freedom. The result for the rich is isolation and suicide. For the poor, envy and murder. Paul tells us to learn Christ to pattern our lives after Christ, to put him on, to be renewed in your thinking. This is the complete opposite of greed. If we look at what Christ's life is patterned after, it's one of giving his life away. We are to give our lives away. It's, not, it's no longer about me. It's no longer about our self-protection. And as Christians, we give our lives away as Christ has given his life away for us. This happens through the renewing of our mind, the direction of the thinking, the Holy Spirit being at work within us. We don't have to return to our old ways of living anymore. We don't have to return to our broken homes of the past. We can look to our future home in Christ. Look at verses 25 and 30 through 32 with me. Therefore, having put away falsehood, 
Let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as that fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This is looking to our future home. Paul, again, draws out a number of contrasts here in this passage. He says, instead of falsehood, live true lives. Instead of just being anger and passionate with no restraint on it, be angry, but don't sin. Don't let sun go down on your anger. Set some limits. Set, t- set some timelines for your anger. Restrain yourself. Don't steal, but work. Instead of being callous through your hands of, of, of no, not feeling anything, use your hands to work in such a way that they become calloused so that you then share that which you have with others. Don't have corrupting talk. Don't tear down other people to build yourself up, but have grace with one another, therefore building up the body of Christ. Don't let bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander uh, be have all these put away with you along with all malice. This is just kind of Paul revisiting the anger conversation, all these different forms in which it can take. Let's let go of that. Let's get rid of that. And instead, let us have kindness towards one another. Let us be tender-hearted for one another. Let us forgive as God in Christ has forgiven you. In this way, now we now are able to reflect God's heart for us through Christ as we have experienced him. There are two sneaky phrases that Paul throws in here. Don't leave a foothold for the devil. And don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't leave a foothold for the devil. This is actually uh, not, Paul doesn't refer to the devil as the devil very often. Usually he calls him Satan, the accuser, the one who comes after him. He, but Paul knows the truth about who Satan is, that he will take whatever foothold, whatever small little portion of your life that he can to turn that into uh, a way to try to destroy. He prowls around like a roaring lion, Peter writes, looking for someone to devour. This is like leaving the back door open. We would never leave our back door open and unlocked at night, um, although our Airbnb did in Chicago. Uh, I discovered uh, the second night we were there that uh, the security of this place was not great. So I noticed the door being propped open by a rock or a stone or brick or something like that. And the whole time there, I just had this feeling of, this place isn't that secure. Something could happen. We're not in the worst part of town, but we're not in the best part of town either. There is an opportunity here. There is a foothold, if you will, uh, for someone to be able to sneak up the back stairs and to sneak into our apartment, I went down and removed that rock. We want to remove that rock so Satan doesn't have a foothold. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. 
It's interesting that Paul would say this. We don't usually think of the Holy Spirit being grieved, but that's probably because we don't think of him as personal as we should. This is a relationship that we have with God. This is the part of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, that lives within us, that binds us together with one another. And when we act in ways that are not in accordance with how the Spirit of God would have us act, when we don't participate in what God is doing, when we do things like tearing the body apart instead of building it up, it grieves the Holy Spirit. It makes him sad. It hurts him. There's pain that he experiences in this life because he is the one that seals us for the day of redemption. We are able to experience our future home here and now because the Spirit dwells within us, and we can look forward to the future home uh, because of that as well. Let us not grieve the Holy Spirit. All of these are positive ways of living that give life and a foretaste of our future home in God and how the Holy Spirit dwells among us, building us up together, binding us together, and giving us uh, a new direction, a new nostalgia, if you will, looking forward. You know, we don't always like hearing the negatives, the put off, the don't do this, don't do that. I usually, when someone tells me don't do something, I automatically go, why not? Let's try it out, you know. But we, when we have these negatives we're actually leaving room for the main action. When we don't do something in our life, it allows us to be able to see what God is doing in our lives and in the world around us. Peterson, Eugene Peterson, as if I haven't quoted him before, says, Moral acts are art forms for arranging and giving expression to the resurrection that this is the negative space in a piece, uh, in a work of art, so that we can see what is actually happening in the world around us. By the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, we are made participants in the work that God is doing. Chicago, one of the things that just like boggled my mind was how much it had changed since I lived there. We had visited four years ago. We didn't have a car, so we didn't get all out and around the city. This time we were able to visit um, the, we drove past the apartment that I lived in with Haley. Um, we went up to campus where I went to school. Um, we drove around different areas that I was able to hang out in and to see just how much it had changed. It was at times hardly recognizable. Even campus where they had a, a they had a few flats in a row uh, on campus there. They tore those down. They built this massive monolithic building for uh, a student center and, and science labs and things like that uh, there. But it was just, it changed what campus looked like and how different it was from how I had experienced it. Different parts of um, the, the restaurant that I worked at was completely different. I walked in there and I'm like, it's you wouldn't recognize it. I mean, the kitchen is still as tiny, smaller than this kitchen here. Um, and what we were able to do there was pretty amazing. But the whole layout of the place, there's hardly any seating up front. There was only seating up front before. Most of it has moved to the back patio. It is so different that it was hardly recognizable. Our lives should be hardly recognizable to those who knew us before Christ 
and we should be growing. We should be renewed. We should be putting on Christ. St. Augustine tells a story of after his conversion, he went back to a city that he hadn't visited and been in in a while, and uh, he was known for, he was a pretty licentious person before he came to Christ, and this woman that he had had some trysts with before came up to him and nuzzled up to him and was, you know, trying to pull him back into that as well, and he played it off and was able to kind of walk away from the situation, and, and as he's walking away, he sa- she says, Augustine, where are you going? It is I. And he turns around and he says, yes, I know, but it is not I. Who he was had changed and how he interacted with people and how he wasn't living greedy for himself anymore. He was living a life for God. Lying, stealing, anger, greed. I mean, most of the culture would say, what's the big deal? Why should we even care We often think about the harm that we may incur on the other person, but it also affects us, the ones committing the sin. The more we lie, the less our amygdala is is activated, which means our whole emotional center of our brain shuts down. Uh, Our amygdala controls our fight or flight reaction. It detects danger and threats. It controls our anger. But the more we lie, the more it shuts down, and the lying becomes easier Again, we become calloused. We become insensitive to that which is around us. But we also become less integrated. We become less whole. And we become shut off from the relationships around us. If you've ever been in a relationship with a pathological liar, at some point you don't know what's true or not. And neither do they. You hear both the positive words they've spoken to you as well as the negative ones. And you go, I don't know what when he or she was speaking the truth to me at all. There is no reality. These things take away from who we are. And some of us may say, aha, see, I knew it. Christianity is just moralism. It's just about how you live and how you act. That's the only thing that matters, just behavior modification. No, moralism is niceness. Christianity is newness. Moralism looks at how nice it is and admires itself. It spends time in the mirror. We applaud our moral standards, and we judge ourselves against those who don't or can't keep up with our morality. Moral systems that say you don't need God, and there are plenty of those, are only for the very successful, strong-willed, disciplined, type A people. Morality has nothing to do with those of us who are failures in life. It's like a beautiful snowflake. It's intricate, it's fragile, and it's freezing. Moralism is a harsh master of cold perfectionism. But Christianity brings newness. It transforms us from the inside out. The truth gets in you, and you grow, and you become new, and you continue to grow throughout your life because Jesus loves you in spite of your failures. You don't have to like, uh, uh, you don't have to, um, I don't know what I mean by that. Uh, you don't have to, I don't, okay, whatever. <laughs> you don't have to pretend that you are better than you really are. You don't have to be greedy for experiences anymore because Christ gives you the things that you really need. Rather than coldness, he brings warmth. He brings grace and peace and kindness and forgiveness instead of emptiness. Jesus brings wholeness. 
1999, uh, Dr. Sedekides began to study nostalgia anew because he was speaking, he was studying and working over in, in Switzerland, and he was talking to a colleague over there, and he was saying how he felt nostalgic for home, and the doctor said, well, you're just depressed. And he's like, no, I don't feel depressed. I feel very happy thinking about nostalgia and as they studied it, they found that they could put people in a cold room, and if they could induce nostalgia in people, they would actually feel warmer in that place, and they would begin to feel the comfort of home. It allows us, nostalgia allows us to look back on our lives and to see how God has worked in our lives, to grow us in Christ, and brought us together as his new community as we look forward to our future true home in Christ, and we can live there now. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you that you don't leave us alone, um, that you come into our life, that you uh, are not satisfied with that um, brokenness, without the, uh, the feelings of wholeness, of us being greedy for our own experiences, Lord. We thank you that you have given us life in Christ to remind us of your grace and your mercy and so that we may look forward to a future home rather than missing that of the past, Lord. Help us to see how you are making us whole, how you are renewing our minds. Help us to put off the old things of our old lives and to put on Christ, Lord. May we do this by the power of your Holy Spirit. May we see the open back doors of our lives, Lord. May we, by the power of your grace and spirit, close those so that we may be renewed in our minds, learning Christ and looking forward to your home in you. We pray these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.